Thank you for the detailed paper explanation. Here is a draft podcast episode covering the key points. Welcome listeners to another episode of the Economic Complexity Podcast. I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. Today we're diving deep into a fascinating new paper that examines how different measures of economic complexity can impact growth prospects across regions in large, complex economies like Brazil. Exactly. The researchers take a close look at how export complexity versus industrial complexity indexes relate to growth at the micro-regional level in Brazil over a 16-year period. This gets at some really important questions about how we capture and understand knowledge and capabilities in different parts of emerging economies. That's right. Export data is often used to calculate complexity indexes since it's readily available, but the authors find it has some key limitations in fully depicting regional strengths in countries with large domestic markets like Brazil. A lot of workers are engaged in activities beyond exports so they analyze industrial employment data too. Their results show industrial complexity is more concentrated spatially and a stronger predictor of growth across Brazilian regions. Export complexity values are more dispersed and don't always reflect actual capabilities as well as industrial data. Only a few urban hubs exhibit comparative advantages in sophisticated services and manufacturing according to both measures. They also find increases in neighboring regions industrial or export complexity are positively associated with growth, suggesting spatial spillovers of demand, skills and innovation. But a region boosting only its own export complexity doesn't guarantee higher incomes. This has implications for how policymakers target productive transformations. Exactly. Relying solely on export focus could perpetuate dependence on basic natural resources and miss opportunities for knowledge-based development. The authors say industrial complexity better reveals potential for smart diversification across diverse regional economies within large countries. In conclusion, they've shed new light on choosing the right complexity lens to promote widespread growth. Export data isn't a one-size-fits-all indicator and multiple dimensions merit consideration depending on allocation's characteristics. This work gives valuable insights for regional development strategies. Fascinating discussion Jen. Thanks for the great summary. It'll be interesting to see how measuring economic complexity continues evolving to better capture knowledge and potential across different economies and geographic scales. Absolutely. The more dimensions we can assess the clearer the picture becomes. Thanks for joining us everyone, we'll be back next time with more insights from the world of economic complexity research. Here is a bizarre commercial for a new company jingles start playing followed by upbeat electronic music voiceover, are you tired of conventional ways of measuring regional economic strength? Sick of relying on simple export and GDP data that just don't cut it anymore? Well have we got the solution for you. Introducing ComplexityCalculations.com, the one-stop shop for all your multidimensional economic assessment needs. We analyze patterns of skills, innovation, comparative advantages, neighboring spillovers and so much more to reveal the true complexity hiding beneath your economy's surface. With us, you'll know which areas are really knowledge powerhouses primed for smart diversification. And our patented COM complexity index goes way beyond exports to show hidden industrial gems prime for clustering. So say goodbye to uncertain development guesses and vague policy targets. With ComplexityCalculations.com, you'll maximize growth potentials across your entire country with laser focus. 
we bring the multi-layered insights of top academic researchers directly to you in easy-to-digest reports, maps and simulations. Don't delay, your economy's future depends on it. Sign up for a ComplexityCalculations.com evaluation today. Jingles end with a zany kazoo solo. Tom, good afternoon everyone and welcome to Municipal Management Matters. I'm Tom and with me today is Jen. Hi everyone. Today we're doing a deep dive into a research paper on knowledge management for socioeconomic development at the municipal level. This paper breaks down some complex topics so let's jump right in. Introduction, 500 plus words. This paper examines knowledge management strategies for socioeconomic development at the local municipal level in Russia. The researchers argue that traditional top-down strategic planning approaches don't adequately address the unique characteristics and needs of individual municipalities. Effective management requires understanding local conditions and incorporating input from communities, businesses and other local stakeholders. The goal of the paper is to propose alternative modeling techniques that can help improve decision-making for municipal socioeconomic development. Specifically, the authors suggest using semantic modeling and cognitive maps, which allow decision-makers to more comprehensively map the relationships between various economic, social and environmental factors that impact development outcomes at the local level. Key concepts and background, 500 plus words. Let's discuss some of the key concepts and background information provided. First. The paper outlines Russia's system of strategic planning which is focused on longer-term national and regional-level goals. However, municipal authorities face challenges implementing strategies due to regulatory hurdles, funding constraints and lack of expertise in areas like strategic planning and project management. The authors also discuss the typical stages involved in strategic management for socioeconomic development according to Russian legislation. This includes things like strategic analysis, goal-setting, developing projects and programs, and evaluating results. However, they note this top-down regional and national focus doesn't adequately consider unique local conditions and opportunities. Core, 2500 plus words. Now we'll get into the main part of the paper. The authors provide more details on the special management challenges facing municipal authorities. These include a lack of systematic planning, over-reliance on administrative methods, insufficient support from regional governments, and knowledge-slash-funding gaps. They argue this traditional top-down model needs to be rethought. The paper then introduces the idea of a bottom-up socioeconomic development management model that places more emphasis on municipal-level initiatives and respects local diversity. The authors also present standard cognitive models that could be adapted to individual municipalities based on common factors like population size, industry specialization and climate. A big part of the core section focuses on applying cognitive tools like semantic modeling and cognitive maps to socioeconomic development management. The authors describe how these tools can help comprehensively map relationships between interdependent development factors. They argue fuzzy cognitive maps are well suited for analyzing semi-structured systems like municipal socioeconomic development. Implications and applications, 500 plus words. In this section, the authors analyze how these proposed modeling techniques could potentially impact the field if applied in practice. They argue cognitive maps could improve the validity and quality of management decisions by providing decision makers with a more holistic view of their local system. This would allow exploration of potential scenarios and structural changes. Importantly, 
the researchers suggest their approach could form the basis for developing decision support systems to advise municipal and other local authorities. Overall, applying these semantic and cognitive modeling tools could help address many of the planning and management challenges currently faced at the municipal level. Conclusion, 500 plus words. To wrap up, the authors restate their main arguments. Specifically, that traditional top-down strategic planning is insufficient on its own for municipal socioeconomic development due to unique local characteristics. But integrating cognitive modeling techniques holds promise to meaningfully improve decision-making by mapping interdependencies between relevant factors. Personally, I found this paper provided a thoughtful analysis of knowledge management challenges at the municipal scale. The proposal to leverage techniques like cognitive maps demonstrated how complex system dynamics can be intuitively broken down to support more informed local governance. Overall, an insightful read on strategies for place-based socioeconomic development. We interrupt your podcast with an important message. Are you a municipal manager struggling with complex development decisions? Feeling overwhelmed by strategic plans and regional directives? Well do we have the product for you. Introducing Map My Municipal Mind A, the first cognitive mapping tool designed specifically for socioeconomic development at the small town scale. Simply upload all your local data like population stats, zoning plans, and economic indicators. Then watch as Map My Municipal Mind A visually plots the relationships between factors like it's playing a giant game of connect the dots. Need to explore different scenarios? No problem. Map My Municipal Mind Day lets you manipulate variables and see results instantly. What if you bring in a new industry? How might that impact infrastructure costs or environmental issues? Find out right now without leaving your office. And other municipal minds are included free of charge. Simply link up maps with neighboring cities and counties. Discover how your decisions impact the region or how collaborating could lead to unexpected opportunities. Thinking small town but dreaming big? Map My Municipal Mind Day makes it a breeze. So forget relying on state planners who've never even seen your main street. Put the power of cognitive mapping to work for you today with Map My Municipal Mind Day. Browse confusing strategic paperwork no more. Just fire up your new municipal mind and let the intuitive interface do the heavy lifting. Cognitive modeling made simple, at your municipal service. Map My Municipal Mind Day, puzzling out local progress, one connection at a time. Tom, greetings listeners. I'm Tom and joining me today is my co-host Jen. Hi everyone. I'm excited to dive into this analysis of the feasibility of Russian solar energy projects without state subsidies. Solar power has huge potential to help transition Russia's energy sector away from fossil fuels. Absolutely. Let's start with some context on why this research is important. Russia has massive oil, gas, and coal reserves that currently dominate its energy supply. But renewable energy sources like solar and wind could play a bigger role in the country's energy mix and climate goals. Introduction, 500 plus words. This paper explores a key question if Russian solar projects could operate profitably without government financial support. The authors aim to determine the viability of projects solely relying on market forces. They evaluate 11 ongoing solar projects using investment metrics like net present value, internal rate of return, and discounted payback period under different policy scenarios. Given solar's growth globally, it's significant to assess its potential in Russia's energy sector transition. Key concepts and background, 
500 plus words. Let's review some important concepts. Solar energy has seen enormous expansion worldwide in recent decades. China, the US, India and others lead in new capacity and investment. Governments use policies like feed-in tariffs, tax incentives and mandates to support solar development. In Russia, the government currently backs renewable projects through subsidies, preferential purchase contracts and local content rules. Figure 1 shows Russia still relies heavily on oil, gas and coal for its total energy supply. The authors argue solar and wind could play a larger role if adequately supported. Core, 2500 plus words, objectives, 500 plus words. The main research question is whether Russian solar projects would be feasible without state subsidies, given today's economic and geopolitical conditions including Western sanctions. The authors aim to assess this by examining 11 actual solar projects under different policy scenarios using investment metrics tailored to the Russian market context. Methodology, 500 plus words. The methodology has four key parts. First, the researchers evaluate the costs of solar power production in Russia. Second, they calculate standard investment indicators like NPV, IRR and payback period. Third, they incorporate specific risk costs before comparing results. Fourth, they develop hypotheses and scenarios to explore how support reductions may impact project viability over different stages. This allows examining dynamics if subsidies are ceased, reduced or projects face higher external risks. Key findings, 1000 plus words. The results indicate most projects are currently not economically viable without subsidies. Under the baseline scenario, NPV is negative for many in the support period and lifetime. Incorporating risk costs further decreases profitability. However, one project remains effective long term. When simulating support cessation or reductions, NPV and IRR drop significantly or become negative for all projects. This suggests the sector critically relies on government incentives under prevailing conditions. Implications and Applications 500 plus words, Jen, so what are the potential impacts of these findings? First, a complete withdrawal of subsidies for the Russian solar sector is currently not economically justified. However, the researchers note solar may have more potential than wind to gradually reduce dependency on state support over time, as costs decline faster. Based on these insights, the authors propose recommendations to policymakers regarding a strategic approach to minimizing direct funding gradually in order to foster self-sufficiency and growth in the solar industry. However, further support is still evidently needed for now. Conclusion, 500 plus words. To wrap up, the researchers found that under current market conditions, Russian solar energy projects cannot reliably operate profitably without ongoing government financial assistance. While solar shows more potential than wind to stand on its own two feet in the long run, state incentives remain critical. The study highlights the importance of renewable energy for Russia's energy strategy and climate goals. It also provides useful guidance on gradually transitioning subsidy schemes to foster a competitive domestic solar sector. Overall, an insightful analysis of this important issue. Here is a commercial for a eccentric company that emerged as a result of this research announcer. Are you tired of relying on those dirty fossil fuels? Sick of needing government handouts just to turn a profit? Then come on down to Solar Self-Sufficiency Solutions. We're a one-stop shop for all your solar independence needs. Want to wean your project off subsidies in the most bizarre way possible? 
we've got you covered. Need to incorporate additional risks like bankruptcy or alien invasions into your financial modeling? We're solar experts. Look no further for solutions like solar panels that run on borscht instead of electricity, or power plants disguised as abandoned communist bunkers. And for a limited time, the first 10 customers will receive a parapet made from old Russian dash cams. So say goodbye to subsidies and hello to self-sufficient solar with solar self-sufficiency solutions. We'll get your power plants profiting or my name isn't Ivan Ivanovich, which it is. Solar independence through strange innovation, that's our motto. Here is a proposed podcast episode covering the paper towards a framework for a new research ecosystem in a detailed and accessible manner. Welcome listeners to another episode of The Lab Report. I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. Today we're diving deep into an interesting new paper that lays out a vision for transforming the global research landscape. The paper is called Towards a Framework for a New Research Ecosystem and it tackles some big challenges around increasing funding for ambitious scientific projects, facilitating collaboration between researchers worldwide, structuring government support, and rethinking rules around intellectual property. That's right, Jen. The COVID-19 pandemic really showed us the benefits of global scientific cooperation. But the paper argues we're still falling short of truly unlocking science's potential due to some systemic barriers. The authors lay out a thoughtful framework for addressing these issues through coordinated international efforts. Exactly. I want to take our listeners on a tour of the key ideas in the paper, but explain the concepts in an intuitive way since some of them deal with complex topics like financial structures and regulatory frameworks. We'll break it down into the introduction, core discussion, implications, and conclusion. Ready to dive in? Let's do it. To start, the introduction provides important context around why transforming the global research system matters. Scientific discoveries have massive spillover benefits for society, but ambitious long-shot projects that could unlock revolutionary innovations often fall through the cracks due to short-term thinking. Meanwhile, Countries aren't maximizing their potential returns from science spending. The COVID crisis showed what's possible when all hands are on deck for a global challenge. But can we apply those lessons more broadly? That's what this paper aims to explore. Great setup. So what are the key challenges the authors identify that need to be addressed? Glad you asked. The core section dives into four challenge areas colon one increasing funding through lower-risk financing models. Things like research-backed obligations that bundle lots of projects into diversified portfolios to attract more private capital. 2. Facilitating researcher collaboration through virtual and physical labs to cross-pollinate ideas worldwide. 3. Clearly defining useful roles for governments and institutions in convening participants, providing incentives, and direct investment. 4. Rethinking governance of intellectual property and regulatory frameworks to incentivize contribution and reward innovation through new collaborative efforts. Wow, those are big challenges. How does the paper propose starting to solve them? That's where it gets really interesting. The authors suggest launching pilot projects to rigorously explore theoretical, technical and institutional approaches. For example, One pilot could create a marketplace of ideas using financial structures to incentivize exchanging innovation between researchers and investors. 
Another could build online knowledge maps connecting experts across disciplines to spark serendipitous collaborations. And a third might draft regulatory options within current frameworks to enable coordinated oversight. These pilots would involve experts from academia, industry, finance and government to test feasibility. That pilot idea is really innovative. What implications might this research ecosystem framework have if it became reality? Huge implications. For one, it could dramatically increase the scale of funding available for scientific mega-projects through coordinated public-private partnerships. With the right vehicles in place, trillions of dollars of private capital may flow towards science as a new asset class. It could also catalyze discoveries by bringing more minds to tackle challenges through these virtual and physical collaborative networks. And it aims to optimize returns on science spending by rethinking incentives for researchers, universities and companies to translationally apply ideas. If successful, the framework could lift ceiling on humankind's scientific potential. Wow! In conclusion, does the paper argue this vision is achievable? It certainly presents an ambitious goal, but also emphasizes this paper is just meant to stimulate important discussions, not dictate solutions. The conclusion reminds us that historical scientific breakthroughs have often followed from coordinated responses to crises. COVID-19 showed what international collaboration can do. If experts worldwide work through pilots to iteratively address these challenges, it believes a reimagined global research ecosystem may be within reach. But it will take ongoing dialogue and problem-solving across many disciplines to get there. Fascinating discussion. Thanks for the insightful overview of this thought-provoking paper. I think bringing these kinds of big ideas to our listeners is what the lab report is all about. Absolutely. Our goal is to have informed conversations about advancing science while making even the most complex topics intuitive. I hope hearing about this framework inspires people to keep thinking creatively about optimizing research systems worldwide. Thanks for joining us everyone. Stay curious. Here is a bizarre 30-second commercial for a company spawned by the new research framework music plays softly as a close-up of blueberries zooming across a microscope. Announcer, are your ideas feeling lonely and unpollinated? Introducing Idea Matchmaker the Global Thought Hive Mind. Upload your half-baked theories and we'll cross-pollinate them with others worldwide using our quantum brain supercomputer. A cartoon brain with antennas is shown firing synaptic lightning bolts between petri dishes of growing ideas. Announcer, not getting enough funding for your crazy science dreams? We'll plate your projects onto trays of angel investors through our blockchain verified research exchange. A scientist is shown excitedly serving up petri dishes on a tray to well-dressed investors. Announcer, tired of conferences where you can't understand what field everyone's even in? We'll transmute your protocol paper into an interpretive dance performed by adorable woodland creatures. Zoom out to reveal the scientist and investors watching a conference where squirrels dramatically act out a research proposal. Announcer, idea matchmaker, because why stay in your lane when you could skate the whole funkadelic interdisciplinary boulevard? Sign up before your ideas get left behind. Here are a few recommendations for future research that could help address some of the limitations colon 1. Conduct a longitudinal study to examine how perceptions and adoption of prop tech change over time. This would help account for the dynamic relationships between variables over multiple time periods. 2. 
expand the sample size and scope to include real estate professionals and consumers from other major cities and regions in Vietnam. This would improve generalizability. 3. Conduct a cross-country comparative study between Vietnam and other ASEAN countries at similar economic development levels. This could provide useful insights on how cultural and institutional factors influence PropTech adoption. 4. Explore additional potential drivers and barriers to adoption beyond just the Utah constructs used in this study. Things like costs, security-slash-privacy concerns, switching costs from traditional methods could be relevant. 5. Consider mixed-methods approaches that combine quantitative surveys with qualitative interviews. This would provide richer contextual understanding to complement statistical findings. 6. Longitudinal case studies of early PropTech adopters in Vietnam could yield lessons on how to facilitate wider-slash-faster diffusion within the industry and country. 7. Future research could also examine the relationship between different types of PropTech solutions, for example marketing-slash-listing platforms versus transaction-slash-management tools, and how adoption may differ.8. The effects of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic on accelerating digital transformation in real estate should be examined once its full impacts have manifested. Hope this provides some useful ideas for extending this important line of inquiry into prop tech adoption in Vietnam and other developing markets. Let me know if any part needs further elaboration. Tom, welcome back to the podcast everyone. I'm very excited for today's episode sponsor. You're not going to believe this one Tom, but our sponsor today is PropTechBabies.com. PropTechBabies.com? What on earth do they do? Well thanks to the research presented in our last episode, PropTech adoption really took off in Vietnam. But some new challenges emerged. Do tell. It turned out that all the time real estate agents were previously spending doing paperwork they started spending online using PropTech services. Nine months later, there was a baby boom. No way. Yes way. Thousands of new PropTech babies were born. But who had time to take care of them with everyone so busy adopting new technologies? Ha ha oh man. Well that's where PropTechBabies.com came in I assume. Exactly. For a small fee, they'll send over a team of robot nannies programmed with all the latest prop deck. Just enter your home office, sit back, and get commodified in peace while the robots handle baby duties. Too funny. Well you heard it here folks, for all your new prop deck baby needs, don't forget to visit PropTechBabies.com. Who knows, maybe I'll be needing their services soon too at this rate. Maybe. In the meantime... Let's continue our discussion on the behavioral intention to adopt real estate technologies in Vietnam. Robot baby cries in background. 